1: During this year, we also have launched officially the urban planning of Oman. So as soon as we launched officially the urban planning of Oman, we decided it is the best time to start the strategy of Oman smart cities. Because when it comes to smart cities, it's not just about technology. It's about the urban planning strategy. It's about the different layers of the, all the sectors in Oman. It's about the policies, the governors, the connectivity. Then we can think uh, at the end about how can we connect all of these you know, different layers of the s- city to be smarter and make the life of people uh, a better and secure uh, place to live on it.
0: Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Brian Chidester. And many governments around the world have formalized a strategy around digital transformation. Even before COVID, governments realized that to deliver services to citizens in a more resilient way, they needed to put into place foundational elements to be successful. And this has manifested itself into numerous central level government strategies, not only to propagate technology into the government ecosystem, but more importantly, to drive positive outcomes for public sector stakeholders. Another driver of this change is the World E-Government Index, which ranks global governments from the best to worst in terms of their technological and strategic service delivery and efficiency. One of the components that governments have prioritized, especially in the new normal we are in, is the proliferation of smart cities across their country. And my guest today, which I'm incredibly honored to host, is leading this initiative on behalf of her country. Laila Al-Hadrami, is the head of the National Smart City Program for the Government of Oman, which is a Middle Eastern country that is leading the charge on smart cities and digital transformation. And that's saying a lot, because the Middle East is innovating at a rate that outpaces most regions around the world. She's not only a senior executive for digital transformation in e-government for the Government of Oman, but she's also a member of the National Program for AI and Advanced Technologies within the Ministry of Transport and Communications and Information Technology. She's been pivotal in driving change within the government of Oman, as well as driving the adoption of emerging tech to provide strategic change on behalf of the citizens within her country. Lila, welcome to the show and thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today.
1: Welcome, Brian, and thank you so much for this invitation. It's really honored to join you on this podcast.
0: So let's jump right into it. When did the story of smart cities uh, really start for Oman?
1: That's a really interesting question uh, to answer it. And let me share with you uh, the story of uh, smart city. We started basically in 2017. In 2017, we started to speak about smart cities. And that started as, you know, like a national uh, strategic program. Uh, it came from one of the organizations in Oman. It's called the Research Council. And they decided that they have to collaborate with another three entities in Oman so they in order to succeed to speak about the smart cities because when it comes to the smart cities not one organization can speak about it it has to be involved or engaged with different organizations so it started as a strategic program and then it was collaborated with ITA and that is was my organization information technology authority which is you know the responsible organization leading digital transformation in Oman So why ITA? Because, you know, uh, ITA is more advanced and the ones that are concerned when it comes to the technologies uh, implementation, Oman. And Muscat Municipality, because Muscat Municipality has one of the projects at that time, uh, which was Matrah City. So they have a lot of data about Matrah City project that we can speak about it as a smart city project. And then we have the Supreme Council, which is one also one of the organizations in Oman that can take some decisions at a top-level management in Oman. And we've got also the collaboration, let us say, the fund of the private sector, because when it comes to the smart cities, we will definitely need the support of the private sector. So we have three uh, companies from the private sector supporting this program. And it was the communication uh, company, OmanTel, Amran, and Nama. So it was basically three uh, companies supported and funding this program. This program was uh, from 2017 till 2020. During this time, mostly we were trying to speak what is smart city, because when it comes to the smart city Brian, I'm sure everyone is giving a different uh, definition for smart cities. So we decided to Keep saying or let us say emphasizing on that name so everyone can understand why we need smart cities, what are the emerging technologies, why we need the technology in our cities? Is it going to help us? Is it going to empower our cities? Is it going to improve our quality of life and so on? So that was, you know, the first phase of the smart city. When we started, and we got a lot of uh, different initiatives. We have workshops, we have hackathons. We have around three hackathons in three different cities around Oman. And we also have some competitions during COVID 19. So we can, you know, encourage uh, the community. To participate with uh, smart mobiles, how can we accelerate? You know, the uh, when it comes to COVID nineteen, because at that time everyone was seeking some smart solution. So we can, you know, uh, improve the health sector and the other sectors when it comes to during the pandemic. So that is how it's basically started as a smart city initiative in Oman during, uh, you know, in twenty uh, in twenty seventeen.
0: That's excellent how you guys have really built a solid foundation. What were some of the yields from the hackathon?
1: Uh, during the hackathons, we have it actually in three different cities. The first city, as I said, it was Matrah in Maskat, And the second city was Suhar. And the third one was Salalah. These cities are you know in different locations. If you go to the map of Oman, you will find that it has a long coast from the north to the south. So Muscat is basically very close uh, to the north, but not in the north. But Suhar is also a coastal city, and most is really famous with you know, the logistic se- sector. So when we started with Matrah, for example, we focused mostly with the tourism sector, and how can we improve the quality of life in Matrah because it's a very crowded city and many visitors are visiting Matrah from different areas around Oman or let us say tourist because it's a very popular destination as a touristic uh, attraction so in each hackathon we have different theme because each city is unique with it is you know uh, geographic or let us say climate environment And uh, we got from each uh, hackathon around 100 participants. And from these 100 participants, 20 were were shortlisted so they can participate and compete with the other uh, participants. And then at the end, we got three winning participants with their smart solutions. How can they improve uh, the solutions in these different cities that we have, you know, the hackathons uh, conducted there?
0: That's... That's really cool. I know there's a lot of, for me, I see a lot of applicability around hackathons as you're looking to drive innovation. I think one of the, one of the really interesting points that you, you mentioned is I think not only is every city unique with their needs and and demographics, et cetera, but I think even pieces of every city are unique. So I I think that also speaks to uh, the importance of laying that foundation as you're building that, those phases out. And I know you have a Smart City Ambassadors Initiative as well. How is that a piece of this first phase as you've been rolling out your strategy?
1: As soon, you know, as, soon as we started the Smart City Project, and as, we, as I said, uh, Oman has a very uh, unique uh, geographic map because we have a long coast uh, from the north to the south around 3,600 kilometers. And we are based on the capital, Muscat. So it was really hard that we are in Muscat and we cannot reach the other cities around Oman. For example, in order to reach uh, Salalah, I have to drive by car around 10 hours, more than 10 hours, Uh, but definitely by the flight, I can fly in one hour and I can reach Salalah. But we were thinking, how can we support these cities who are far away from the capital? And from that, you know, concept, we got the idea of smart city ambassadors we say we need ambassadors in each city so they can represent us, so they can share knowledge with us. Because if you want to speak about smart cities, or let us say if you want to speak about the emerging technologies, how the emerging technology are going to empower our cities, we need more people. We need soldiers. And at that time when we started, you know, we were just, you know, a small team. So definitely we need so many people to help us. So we said, if you want to focus, for example, in these cities, that will help us also to know, are these cities ready when it comes to the technology? Do they have qualified people, or let's say, ambassadors who can train the community about these technologies? It was really challenging at the beginning. And we said, let us try it and let us see how we are going to succeed on it. It was not easy. It was really challenging at the beginning, but we decided to take it. And the unique about this, uh, nobody, you know, uh, started this initiative before. Uh, So it was unique at Oman and even when it comes to the Middle East, because recently we also, you know, in 2020, we have participated uh, in the competition of ITU in Geneva. And we have won as a, a best uh, uh, building capacity innovation as ecosystem, you know, uh, as part of ITU. So we started with the first knowledge area. So we said everyone is speaking about the emerging technologies. But when it comes to the, you know, the theme itself, what do we mean by emerging technologies? Does everyone understand this world? Or some of them, they say, what is this Chinese word? Or what is this strange word? Because we have to make it very simple if you want to succeed. So we decided to not speak about emerging technology engineer. We decided to focus on each technology based on each month. So we decided, for example, for the first month, we are going to speak about blockchain. Why blockchain? Because at that time, when we started speaking about the emerging technologies, blockchain was trending at that time. So we started with blockchain. But then we asked ourselves, do we have ambassadors in Oman who are really qualified in blockchain? And why we wanted people from Oman to speak about this technology? Because believe me, Brian, when you speak about technologies, it's not just in Oman. It's everywhere around the world. If you are speaking about experience that you heard about it in another advanced country, the people that you are working with them, they will say yes, they can do it, but we cannot do it. So when you bring people from the same community, speaking the language, when you say speaking the language, you know, for example, we are speaking Arabic here in Oman. So we brought people who are experienced in blockchain. And they spoke, you know, they delivered the knowledge in Arabic. And we also have some other speakers because they are, you know, uh, some of them, they are citizens. And they are from different nationalities. And they also speak in English. So we have two languages. And uh, it was, you know, very flexible. So the first month when we said blockchain, we found out that we have six ambassadors from three different cities around Oman. And we say that was, you know, a success for us, because when it comes to the to a new program, two sessions will be really successful to start it in one month. But to be six, that was like a success for us. The next month, we spoke about the IoT. We got twenty ambassadors and they, uh, the participants from more than ten cities around Oman, and that was really big success for us. And from that time, we become very popular, and everyone. Because at the beginning, we were searching for the ambassadors to be part of this. But how we found out that we are successful, people started reaching us and saying, we need to be ambassadors. We need to be part of this initiative so we can share knowledge. And because also, you know, the people who share the knowledge with us, it was also for them like a good marketing because before nobody knew about them. Nobody knows that they are qualified in these certificates, certificates. because usually brain, most of the people, when they get certified, they will have their certificate, you know, hanged in the wall or hidden somewhere else. But what we did, we were showing that we have some talented people. We have people with potential Mm -hmm. skills so they can share knowledge. And we did that with zero cost. All of them, they shared, you know, without any uh, paid budget. So this kind of initiative is very successful to be implemented in different countries, not just in Oman.
0: No, I, I completely agree. One of the challenges that governments have faced, no matter what type of projects you're working on all over the world, is the, the talent deficit and bringing in people that are qualified to, to not only do the work, but also recruiting in some of the top people. Uh, the most talented people to come in and work on these projects uh, because competing with the private sector is difficult. So being able to showcase the type of programs and technologies that they can work with is certainly a tool that you guys can use to pull in some of that talent. So it sounds like it was really successful for you. What exactly. I, I, As you're, as you're rolling out some of these emerging technologies, I would imagine that there's a lot of crossover, um, or at least, uh, at least aggregated strategy with the Oman 2040 vision that you have. I know a lot of countries have these vision, uh, these vision programs. Um, How is this smart cities uh, initiative fitting in to that uh, 2040 vision strategy for your country?
1: Uh, excellent question. Uh, you know, when I mentioned the first phase of the smart city in Oman and how it really started, at the first, mm-hmm. at first level, we were just focusing on the, you know, the term and how can we be able to convince everyone. And they speak the same language about the smart cities, why we need smart cities and so on. So 2040, it came by saying that we need to empower the cities in Oman. We have eleven governance in Oman. As I said, we have a very long coast, different governance, different climate, different uh, environments. So this is what really make uh, Oman unique about it. In the past, you know, most of the citizens in Oman they used to immigrate to the capital, which is Muscat, so they can find you know the jobs, the good uh, uh, health sector, the good education, and so on. But with 2040 now, they want to empower. All the cities around Oman, and according to the you know the structure of Oman, we have eleven governances. And uh, south to the north, uh, we need uh, to make sure that each governance they are leading their governance to be you know decentralized. When I say decentralized, they are no more saying that we need to be like muscat or let us be waiting the official uh, regulations or the, uh, the orders it comes from the main ministries so now each governor is empowered to make the cities of his governance smarter and and when i say smarter again do we mean smarter to be empowered by technology or to be preferred by people when it comes to the smart city, it's always about the people, how people are preferring their cities. Is it the best city to live in it or is it not my favorite city and I have to immigrate? So this is how each governor, they have to make sure that he, for example, providing the quality of life for the citizens, uh, providing, you know, the jobs, providing all the main services that his citizens or her citizens needed on that one. So this is what we are trying now to do is to working closely with the governors, with the cities of Oman. At the first phase, we were trying to work with the communities, but now we are trying to work with cities around Oman so we can help them. For example, how can they improve uh, the quality of life in their cities? And we have to do that in collaboration with different sectors, because we are always saying, smart city is not laid about one organization, it's about all the mm-hmm. sectors, involved in achieving that strategy to make the quality of life for the people in that city.
0: That's exactly right. It's an ecosystem kind of working together. How have you taken inspiration from other countries, especially within your region or even outside of your region that have looked to execute on a a similar strategy, perhaps maybe a few years in advance of, of Oman?
1: Uh, The global collaboration with different countries is always inspiring and, you know, we cannot work alone and this is you know one example uh, me and you Brian that we are talking about smart cities and when we engage with you know different countries we learn from them and for example when we started the smart city in oman one of the inspiring countries uh, for me i'm speaking about myself i cannot speak about everyone in oman but uh, let me say i'm very impressed about how china started the smart city concept when they started that i feel it's very close to the environment of Oman because they started first with the urban planning. And during this year, we also have launched officially the urban planning of Oman. So as soon as we launched officially the urban planning of Oman, we decided it is the best time to start the strategy of Oman Smart Cities because when it comes to smart cities, it's not just about technology. It's about the urban planning strategy. It's about the different layers of the, all the sectors in Oman. It's about the policies, the governors, the connectivity. Then we can think uh, at the end about how can we connect all of these you know, different layers of the s- city to be smarter and make the life of people uh, a, a better and secure uh, place to live on it. So definitely, you know, the uh, experience of the different countries is really inspiring. And there is, you know, Singapore, uh, Copenhagen, Amsterdam. So we're trying hmm. definitely to learn from each city, you know, some lessons that we can implement it in our cities in Oman. And as I said, every city is really unique and every, and every country is also unique with its people and culture. So we have to take what is really going to work with us. And what's not working with us, we just learn about it, so we can think how it's going to help us in future.
0: You referenced China as a an inspiration for you, at least in, in how they've rolled out their strategy. Um, and I know several several of the drivers that are are kind of driving that program um, are probably analogous. I know one big one around smart cities is sustainability. Um, what are some of the ways that your country is working to become more sustainable based on the technology they're deploying in these type of programs
1: when it comes to sustainability uh, let me share with you uh, one of the good news Uh, as you introduce myself that i'm a member of the ai national program in mtcit my country as soon you know the pandemic started. There was an urge that we need to adapt the technology to accelerate and make uh, the digital transformation in my country a better life for all the citizens. In the past, you know, the online shopping was not that much popular in Oman. But because of COVID-19, for example, now we have different uh, online platforms. Now we have different apps. We have different apps that you can use the online services So as, uh, you know, a response to what happened during the pandemic, uh, it came a need that we have a national AI program, which means that we need to adapt more technologies to make our lives better. So this is one of the responses that, you know, as a sustainability, that we have to keep ourselves improving to what is, you know, uh, going through our lives. And when it comes to the, you know, COVID-19, it changed all the world. Everyone started changing their policies, their regulations. They started working from home in order to start working from home. This this changed some policies when it comes to the work. For example, some people, they used to work in a desktop, but now because of that, now they say, okay, in order to be sustainable and to succeed for future, uh, we have to uh, adopt a new policies. For example, we should uh, use just laptops, no more desktops. And you can see this is just one example, Brian, that everyone now starting to change their policies so they can guarantee that they are going to have sustainable development and to guarantee also that the work is not going to stop at any moment.
0: How much did COVID-19 impact the timeline for this program? You mentioned a lot of the work that you started, especially foundationally. You began back in 2017, so close to four years ago. Yes. But there was a there was obviously a, a large gap in that process with COVID-19. The work can't stop, but certainly could slow down a little bit. How much of an impact was it?
1: As an impact, uh, I'm, sometimes I really feel blessed about COVID-19, although it is really causing a lot of losses. But when it comes to the digital transformation and technologies, COVID-19, you know, was a main cause to empower the rabbit of, um, you know, adopting these technologies. And let me share with you one of the best stories that I can say about it during COVID-19. You know, when it comes to the technology brain uh, the old people, they usually use, you know, uh, some of them, they refuse even to use mobiles. Some of them say, we don't need to use these devices. We are fine without it. But last week, I went to take my first dose uh, vaccine, and when I arrived to the center where we can uh, take our vaccine, I was really so much amazed with the improvement that we have. It everything was integrated with the data, and what made me really happy to see the old people carrying with them their mobiles and show and showing you know to the desk or to the officers who are responsible about checking their appointments. So they were showing you know their online appointment through the the mobile. So each one of them, they were carrying the mobile, because in that mobile now they have everything, they have their data, they have you know their appointments and so on. So now the technology is adapted by everyone, because sometimes you launch technology, you know you launch new services, but does everyone use that technology? Does everyone use that service? In the past, you know uh, some services or let us say some projects failed. Because Mm -hmm. it faces resistance from the community. But because of COVID-19, now everyone is using the technology. And even they say, if there's no technology, they will start, you know, complaining why it's not digitalized. And I can see that when I see my mom, my dad, why it's not digitalized. So now they also, they are asking for the technology. So this is really making me happy now that technology is used by everyone. So this is the blessing thing about COVID-19. It forced everyone to adopt technology.
0: Yeah, I think it not only has digital transformation accelerated, you're you're absolutely right. The adoption side of things is obviously a, a really important piece of it. It's one of the things I've I've had conversations even on this podcast about, in terms of technology adoption. Before COVID, you you had to kind of build in a program, but it it became very draconian where you literally had to survive and, and you couldn't unless you adopted that technology. Teams is a great example, or these other video collaboration platforms. The ability to just facilitate work necessitated that people adopt these and use them, and there wasn't really a choice. So uh, I'm hoping that As we continue into a a, a post-pandemic or a a new normal uh, situation, that level of adoption will still be there.
1: For totally, sure. agree, totally agree with you. And let me share with you something, Brian. You know, one of the things that I really like about COVID-19, because uh, before the pandemic, we were just working from office. And because I'm also uh, working with the digital transformation team, most of our meetings, it was face-to-face. And we and our customers are the government entities. So sometimes we have to drive around one hour just to reach a meeting, which is about 30 minutes. And then you return back one hour back again, and counting sometimes the traffic and what happens from, you know, risks in the, you know, traffic and so on. Sometimes we waste three hours just to attend 13 30 minute meeting. So we waste a lot of time, and uh, as a productivity, we were not productive because we have to just have around one or two meetings for a day. But because of COVID-19, now we are working from home. And now we are having sometimes four to five meetings. Although it's really exhausting, but we become more productive. And, you know, that has reduced the time and efforts and become more productive. We are able to meet more people, we are able to achieve, uh, to, uh, you know, complete. uh, So so this is what I really like about COVID-19. And even when we started, you know, going back to the office, we are still... Using the online meetings, and sometimes people they say, uh, "Can we come to face to face?" Say, "No, why are you are coming face to face? We can have now, you know, a, a online uh, a meeting by using one of the platforms available." So it make it for us, you know, very much flexible to work. Uh, you know, it's not just about the productivity, but also you know, you feel comfortable about it. No need to be in the office just to attend a meeting or let us uh, accomplish any task so this is really what i like also about you know how the uh, pandemic has accelerated the digital transformation
0: while we are talking about the pandemic was there any type of reevaluation of technologies for the smart cities program once the pandemic hit to say you know what it this this situation or this ecosystem is going to look very different in 12 months, 24 months? Uh,
1: You know, the assessment, we need it badly. Everyone needs assessment for any program because sometimes you say, I'm going to work on this program from A to Z. But for example, suddenly you get some changes. Then we have to adapt the changes so it can, you know, suit the program and how can we Feel that it's really going to be successful. So as we, so as I said, when it comes to the pandemic, for example, as a response to the pandemic, we launched the national program for AI because we found out that we are having a lot of, uh, you know, uh, online platforms We are having more smart solutions. Then we said, okay, we need to have a strategy for AI because when it comes to the AI, there are some policies that you need uh, to uh, make sure that everyone are following the same policy in your country. There are some when it comes to AI. Yeah. Can we just say uh, we just are going to use the AI without taking consideration the ethics and so on? We also need to take also in consideration the security. So there's like different aspects that we mm-hmm. need to adapt it. So we have to assess and change. And every time I'm saying this, you know, the, the plans are not like uh, a holy books. It needs to be changed according to the changes that happened, uh, you know, during the plan and so on.
0: You mentioned a, a magic word in there. I do want to touch on, uh, and that's security. How much is security a focus of yours? As you're, especially as you're introducing new technologies into the ecosystem, and ensuring that they're not vulnerable.
1: Yes, when it comes to the security, you know, the, let me share with you one of the interesting uh, chat that uh, happened with one of my colleagues. He was telling me, uh, Leila... You are speaking mostly about smart cities and digital transformation, and suddenly you are speaking about security. And I told him, security is something essential. It's part of all our lives. We have all to be secured. It's not just about you know the smart cities or let's say the technologies, but all of us because whenever we are becoming smarter, more threats are you know uh, threatening our lives. In the past, we used to have the weapons by, you know, uh, using rail weapons, but nowadays, the the security the hackers they can hack you anytime they can hack your laptop hack your life hack your home hack you know uh threaten your own life so it's really essential to make sure if you are going smarter we have to make sure that we are using the best system that are going to secure our services and you know because of the uh using a lot of the smart uh, platforms we got more cases when it comes to the cyber security so recently in oman for example we tried a lot also to focus to the security aspect because we said you have because with the security we are using for example uh, blockchain as a technology for example to make the systems Uh, unable to be, for example, hacked and so on, because this is one of the smartest technologies when it comes to uh, to the security, Uh, because, you know, we are using, for example, a lot of sensors in IoT. Are all of these sensors secured or not? So, again, we also have another policy when it comes to the, the use of IoT, because we have to make sure that they are secured and not hacked or let's say uh, mm-hmm. people you know, the organization cannot face uh, uh, critical issues when it comes to breaking or breaching their systems. So definitely the uh, system and security is uh, one of the essential aspects that we are really making it as a big focus on it as part of the smart city. And uh, let me also share with you the other aspects when it comes to the smart city. We are focusing as a security, as one layer, the governor, and when I say the governor, when we are speaking about the smart city it's really challenging because it's about all the country it's about the policies of different organizations it's about the different regulations with different uh, sectors so it's not about one organization that you can say it's easy to implement no it's about different sectors so we have to make sure that we have uh unified the regulation policies that make you know the system for example of the governance is much easier easier to implement the policy of smart cities in their cities and also the funding model so and when i say the funding model because if you go around the world brain all of us we are sharing the same concern that the technology is costing a lot so why we are speaking about the funding model because we have to find different you know uh, methodologies are we going to let the government pay for that technology And the smart city project—is it the private sector? Is it the is it some another partner and so on? Is it investment by another you know let's say country and so on? So there is different solutions that we have to take in consideration when it comes to the smart city in any country, and and I'm saying. Each country, they are unique with their own culture and environment. So I cannot say I'm going to adopt the same, uh, you know, funding model of uh, my neighbor country or let's say the European country or American country. I have to see what is the best that's going to be really mostly suitable. And finally, also the legislation of the governance. We have 11 governance, so we have also to discuss this. What is the power of each governor? What they can do exactly for their cities? And one of the interesting, uh, you know, stories, if you could allow me, Brian. Uh, yes, to speak about, uh, I was in Gamarais in 2019. Uh, Gamarais is uh, an old city in Portugal. Uh, so Gamaraes is, you know, having the office of the UNU EGAP, which is part of the United Nations University. And I was working with them for three months. And I was really surprised why this office of the United Nations in this small city In Portugal, because not everyone knows about Gamma although it is one of the oldest cities, because when you go to Gamarais, you know, you'll find a building there, uh, it's written in Portuguese. Portugal started here in this village, but not everyone knows about it. Usually when you want to, for example, to attract like a global organization, you will definitely go, for example, to the capital, for example, or for any city, or let us say a popular city. So I was really interested to know how Gamraj was able to attract the office of the United Nations to be there and it was with one of the ministries and they told me the story of the mayor of Gamraj they said the mayor of the Gamraj he said I am ready to offer you offices for the UN Egaf to be on the Ministry of uh, for the University of Minio, and he said, "I'm also ready to offer also a building for the employees and so on." So he was offering some facilities, and what is going to be to take in advance? In advance, the name of Gamarash will be mentioned a lot globally because. When the people ask, where is the location of the UNU EGAP, they will say it's in Gamera, in Portugal. So this is when it comes to the power of the mayors or the governors, how they are going to attract the investment, the tourism to their cities. So that's why I, really, I like sometimes to go back to some of these stories that really inspire me, that any mayor can be successful if they you know, uh, find some uh, you know, uh, incentives for the investors or for the global organizations to go uh, and to be based on their cities. So this is really something interesting to be shared with you, brain and with all the listeners.
0: That's a really good point. And to be honest, I hadn't really connected the dots between the political ability to drive some of this change. But what I've seen, especially, all, uh, especially in the United States, but all over the world is that some of the more advanced connected cities are actually smaller in scale. They're not uh, these massive capitals that you would think would be investing all this money there in the United States, for example, Columbus, Ohio, a small city in the middle of the country, or uh, I've, I've had on the show um, the the CIO from the city of Chattanooga, which is one of the mm-hmm. uh, smart city G20 smart city Alliance members um, is Really far advanced, and it really does speak to the value and the power of what the political entities in that in that city in that region can do to provide a spotlight for what they're doing, and and like you said, to ultimately drive uh, economy value uh, and um, and introduce new citizens, new tourists, etc., into the community. I think it's a really important point
1: exactly totally agree with you and you know this is really contradict with the fact that smart cities is you know uh, linked with the fact with the mega cities because you know mm-hmm. when it comes to the smart cities it, everyone say that smart cities should be only with the populated cities that it has more than two millions or let's say let's say ten millions population that city but uh, the story of gomaraj and the story that you have also mentioned It is, you know, changing the fact that smart city is not just for these cities. Smart city is for all the cities around the world. Because now the smart city is about the people of that city and how they are feeling happy. And I love to say happy because, you know, in order to stay in one place, I have to first to feel happy and secured. Feeling with these two elements feeling happy and, you know, secured, will definitely make me feel sustainable and stable to be on that city. So I think this is the concept of smart cities is really changing now. It's no more with just the populated cities. It's about how we are going centric with the people who are, you know, living in these cities.
0: Absolutely. And it, I love that you've taken inspiration from... Uh, country, cities outside of not just your country, but your region. What it, it, With some of this inspiration and with some of this research you've done, what do you see the future being for global smart cities as, as we move into the next five years, 10 years, 20 years?
1: Well, as I said, uh, Brian, I think the concept of smart cities is now really changing. Because, you know, in the, in the past, or let's just say in the recent years and even for now, most of our planning, we we're just thinking mostly about the technology and how they are really connecting the different buildings, different sectors, and so on. But now uh, there's another shift, as I said, uh, focusing on the people and the quality of life so they can get it in their cities. And mostly, as I said, the security. Because even, you know, uh, when it comes, for example, to the, to the traveling, the first question that, you know, is really asked by anyone, is that country safe? You know, this is the first question that even you, for you, Brian, I'm sure that you ask yourself, is it really safe, for example, to travel to Oman? Is it really safe to travel to that country and so on? So we have to take that in consideration. And when I say safe, it's really uh connected with the security and the sustainability of the cities so now even you know the concept of smart city is becoming about sustainable sustainable cities so the future uh, you know the global uh, future cities it's about the people how they are planning their cities how they like their cities to be do they want their cities just to be just about technology or is it about the environment or is it about, you know, walking everywhere with safe, you know, environment or, you know, let us say uh, driving with less, having less traffic. So it's about the people, people, how they want their cities to be. It's not just about the technology. The technology is really empowering and making our life easier, but we have always to make the people the priority in planning their cities.
0: And I think that's one of the biggest changes that we've seen in governments as they've been deploying technology for various programs, not just smart cities, but exactly. um, citizen experiences. They're really putting the citizen now at the center of what that experience looks like. And I think that's been one of the biggest changes or from a from a value standpoint that uh, was accelerated by the pandemic, but really started even before then. So I, I agree. And I think as we look at what the future of smart cities look like, there's no reason why uh, that shouldn't also be the case.
1: Exactly. Uh, when You know, when it comes to the people, uh, Brian, let me share with you one of our uh, smart ecosystem that we are now trying to follow up. You know, as uh, in each project that we are working on it in Oman because it's about the people finally. So when it comes to the people, we have to make sure that we are working with all the sectors in our community. And when I say in our community, it's about the government sector, the private sector, academia, the SMEs and the community. So we have to make sure that we are linking all of these, you know, different categories together. We cannot work alone. The government cannot work alone without the private, and the private cannot work alone without the government or the SMEs, and so on. So it's all like you know uh, a cycle uh, completing each other. So this is very important that we should follow, and you know we are trying to follow the strategy so we can make sure that we are going to fulfill you know the requirements of all the different people in different sectors.
0: Lila, I've enjoyed this conversation immensely. And honestly, we talked about some of the the things that happened because of the pandemic and, and some of the technology that's been incorporated. And I don't know if you and I would have had this conversation if it wasn't for that. So I've, I've really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed getting to know you. And um, is there any final thoughts you'd like to leave our audience with today?
1: I think uh, we have uh, spoke a lot uh, about this and, you know, the topic of smart cities. is really interesting because uh, it's about everything. It's not just about, you know, technology, as I said. So this is uh, all what I could share about it from my side. And I really enjoyed uh, talking with you, Brian. It's really interesting. Although you are in the uh, U.S., I'm in Oman, but I feel that we are really close Imagine that I'm drinking my uh, cup of coffee, but uh, it's really early morning with you, so I'm
0: with your
1: (laughs) cup of tea or cup of, uh, you know, uh, coffee. So that's was really interesting. And I really hope that we're going to keep exchanging the experience and knowledge, you know, uh, globally. Thank you so much, Brian.
0: Thank you again for your time. And this has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to gmarku.com or wherever you access your podcasts. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at ChittisterAB. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye for now.